Living Word is brought to you by International Central Gospel Church. Hello, I'm Pastor Mesa Otabel. Recently, I preached a message I titled, Your Vote. It was a message to help people to know the weight of their vote, the significance of their vote, and how to exercise their vote. So I decided to share this message with you as part of a civic responsibility to help people all over this country to value the importance of the vote that they would be exercising on the 7th of December during our election. I want you to take time to listen to this message and I want you to listen to it as a citizen of this country and just consider how valuable and how important this occasion on the 7th of December is going to be for you. And now, today's message. Your vote. <laughs> Your vote. Uh, in a, just a little over three weeks, we will be voting, and uh, I just felt that I should, I should help and bring a scriptural perspective on that process uh, that we all call election and what a Christian should be doing and what each one of us, what the rep responsibility plays on each one of us. So I'm going to start with two scripture readings, two scripture readings, first from Proverbs, and then we'll read from the book of Acts. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10 to 15. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10 to 15. And uh, it reads, well, I know you're getting there. Proverbs is somewhere in the middle of your Bible, so if you open to the middle of your Bible, you either get Psalms or Proverbs. If you get anything like Genesis, you are way out of line. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10 to 15. Proverbs 1, 10 to 15. And it reads, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions and we shall fill our houses with spoil. Note verse 14. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. Now note that phrase in verse 14, cast in your lot among us. That verse is in reference to voting for something. But in this case, the picture is of armed robbers 
thieves who are planning to steal and they are trying to recruit people to steal with them. And so the Bible describes it and says, when people are trying to recruit you in this, and in this case it's to do evil, do not cast or do not join them or don't cast your vote or your lot with them. This, and so it is a reference to voting. Uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 21 to 26. Acts chapter 1 verse 21 to 26. This is after Jesus had died and resurrected and gone to heaven. And as you know, one of his uh, apostles, uh, Judas, was the one who betrayed Jesus. So, and Judas ended up hanging himself. And, and so they had to try and fill up the space of Judas. And in the first major meeting of the church, they tried to find a replacement for Judas. And it was a voting procedure that they used to make that decision. So let's read that account. Acts 1, 21 to 26. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two. I want you to note that phrase, proposed. They proposed two. Joseph called Basabas, who was surnamed Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This is how the apostles of Jesus brought in the replacement. It's very interesting because none of them was chosen through that process. Each one of them was called by, by Jesus in a very special way. But when they were looking for a replacement, they used a method that was very different from what Jesus had used. And they voted. And, uh, and they voted for uh, Matthias, and Matthias literally won the election. In these two scriptures, we see voting being used. First, it is in trying to recruit people to do something, and in this case, it was evil, but sometimes it can be for good things. And here, we also see a voting procedure being used to elect somebody, and the person is elected, and, and he's counted among the apostles, but as an aside, we get to know that he didn't really do much. Now for us Ghanaians and for nations which operate uh, a democracy, uh, some kind of representative government, there is always a procedure of voting that brings in people into office. And I think it's important for us as Christians to understand what it is to have a vote and how to properly use your vote. So let me start with some definition. What is a vote. What is a vote? When we say your vote is your power or we're going to vote, what is a vote? The word, English word vote comes from the Latin word votum. Votum. 
Votum is a Latin word which means a promise or a vow. A promise or a vow. It is a very interesting concept because it's always important to understand where words have originated from and why they are used in the way they are used so we can place it in the proper context today. In the Roman, in Roman times, in ancient times, when people went to their gods or their deities, they had a sacrifice, an offering. And they give the offering to the deity with a request that the deity would do something for them. Now, when they present that offering, what they hold in their hand, that is what was called the votum. That is the vote. Literally, they are saying, I am giving so that you may give to me. I am giving so you may give. That process of a person going to give so he may receive was called the votum. The votum, which now we call the vote. Now, it is very similar to what Christians do when we bring an offering. We give so it shall be given unto us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. So when I give an offering to God, I am casting a vote with God. But it's not one way. I am giving because I believe that the person I give to has the capacity to give back to me. So in ancient times, the vote was not a one-way expression. It's not just somebody giving, but the person also expecting. A vote, therefore, is a covenant. A vote is a covenant. It's a covenant relationship between a man or woman and whatever he treasures or worship. And that is why uh, usually you will hear uh, in civic training, people would say, your vote is sacred. Your vote is sacred. Almost like saying your vote is holy. Because where the word came from, it came from a worship system and it's now become a political system. But the whole idea of sacredness, of you giving something that is precious to you in order to receive, is retained in a vote. Anytime you go to an election to vote, you are making a covenant. It's a sacrifice. So let me give you two uh, definitions, and this is Otabel's definition of a vote. You'll not find it in any dictionary. But you know, I create my dictionary as I go. I'll give you two definitions of a vote. Number one, it means giving support to an idea in expectation that the idea will benefit you. Giving support to an idea in expectation that the idea will benefit you. So the person who goes with a votum and gives, he's expecting that something beneficial will come to them. And the, if you uh, remember the passage we read in, in Proverbs, uh, the, 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 the people appealing to somebody to cast in the vote says, if, if we do this together, you will benefit. So in the vote, there is giving 
and receiving. So that's my first definition of a vote. Giving support to an idea in expectation that the idea will benefit you. It's a giving and receiving covenant. Second definition of a vote is giving power to someone or people to act on your behalf. When you vote, you give the power of attorney to someone to watch over the resources of the state on your behalf. So therefore, you don't vote in a vacuum. Voting never occurs in a vacuum. For there to be a vote, there must be a proposal, a motion, something put on the floor. You don't vote for nothing. You vote for something or against something. When you have a meeting and, and there is going to be a vote, you say somebody should move the motion. Somebody should make a proposal seconded by another person and the people vote. Because for there to be a vote, there must always be a proposal. There must be something we are voting on. Now, when you consider the proposal, you can ask yourself, Does, is this what I want? If it's what you want, you cast in your vote. If it's not what you want, you don't vote for it or vote for somebody else whose proposal you agree. So, in an election of any kind, there's always going to be a proposal. And remember what we read in, in Acts of the Apostles. They proposed two people. Basabas and Matthias. And they said, this is our proposal. Vote. And it fell on Matthias. So, for there to be a vote, there must be a proposal. There must be an idea. There must be something on the table. If there is nothing on the table, you cannot vote. And you express your will on what is on the table. For a Christian who must vote, there is always a dilemma. Because the Christian lives in two worlds. The Christian's world is not one. The Christian's world is two. Turn with me to John chapter 17, verse 15 to 18. As Jesus describes the world of the Christian. Jesus prays and says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Christians are citizens of heaven living on earth. We have dual citizenship. And that's why the Bible says, Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven as Christians we are pilgrims on earth this is not the only place we have we have a kingdom which is not of this world so in Jesus praying for his disciples he recognizes that they are in this world but that is not the only place they belong to they belong to another world the kingdom of God and the earthly kingdom now, that always creates a confusion and a dilemma for every Christian. We are supposed to be in this world, 
But we are not of this world. We are supposed to be citizens of heaven, but we live on earth. And the, the conflict is how do we make heaven work on earth? And how do we make sure that earth looks like heaven? That is the challenge of the Christian. Now, because the Christian lives in two worlds, when it comes to political issues, sometimes we are really lost as to what is the will of God? What is the way to go? What does God want me to do? Now, in God's world, the Christian lives under a government that is called a theocracy. In the kingdom of God, we live in a theocracy. Everybody say theocracy. In a theocracy, God's will rules. In a theocracy, the will of God is what rules. And normally, in a, in a practical sense, in a theocracy, the will of God rules through priests. Like when you read the story of Israel, you find that Moses was the leader, but it was a theocratic system because Moses received instruction from God and said, that says the Lord, and the people obey. Samuel operated a theocracy, but later on Israel moved into a monarchy. But a theocracy is when the will of God rules. Now, as Christians, in our relationship with God, we live under a theocracy because we are seeking to do the will of God. The will of God is what rules for the Christian. But at the same time, in our world, we live in a democracy. We live in a democracy. And in a democracy, the will of the people rules. And in a democracy, all eligible citizens have equal say in how their nation is governed. This always creates a conflict for the Christian. How do we do the will of God and the will of the people at the same time? Because the will of God and the will of the people are not always one and the same. And... Uh, you read more and more in the, in the Old Testament, you find that more and more the will of the people is always in conflict with the will of God. We have a, a saying that the voice of the people is the voice of God. That's not true. The Bible, if you read the Bible, you, you, you find the voice of the people is not the voice of God. That is why God will raise one man, Isaiah, and say, go and prophesy to the whole house of Israel, the voice of the people, only one man, but his voice is the right voice and the people are wrong. Majority is not always right. Majority can be wrong. So for Christians, for democracy, it's a majority rule. For theocracy, it is God's rule. So how does a Christian function in a theocracy and a democracy at the same time? Where he wants to do the will of God, but he's subject to the rule of the people. That is going to be the conflict of every Christian and we have to constantly pray and seek the will of God in this matter. Now that also helps us to understand how to interpret the Bible in current times. Because Christians build their lives on the Bible, sometimes we lift the Bible directly from a different context and put it into our context. The people of the Bible in the Old Testament 
did not have democracy. In fact, democracy was not functioning in Bible times. Democracy started from the Greek civilization and the Romans and then eventually uh, has become quite popular in our time. So in the Bible days, there was no democracy. In Bible days, there was theocracy and monarchy. So the way, for example, kings and leaders were elected in Bible days is very different. So when we draw direct references between biblical Israel and Ghana, for example, we are going to have serious biblical challenges because Israel was a covenanted nation. Israel did not elect kings. The kings were ordained by God. The kings were called by God. The kings were, were, were released by God. In Ghana, political leaders are not ordained by God. Political leaders are elected. So a Ghanaian elected president or American elected president or British elected prime minister is not equal to a person ordained by God. Because they have come into office in two different ways. One, by the declaration of God, when Samuel goes to anoint somebody, David, he doesn't need a vote. Samuel goes and says, God says, amongst your sons, Jesse, there is a boy here, and he anoints him, and he says, that's the king who voted for him. Only Jesse, only Samuel. As a matter of fact, if David stood for election in his own house, he would have lost. His brothers will vote against him. His father will vote against him. The whole tribe will vote against him. But God chose him. That is a theocracy. Samuel is a priest. He determines who is president. But that's not how democracy works. So when you confer the same authority of a God-elected king to a people-elected king, they are two different things. Totally different. And their source of power is very different. I hope you're following what I'm teaching. Okay. So for a Christian to say, for example, you know, uh, God says... Uh, Touch my, not my anointed because somebody is president. He's not the anointed. A president is not the anointed of the Lord. The anointed of the Lord is a person that God chooses. The president is the elected of the people, not the anointed of the Lord. He's subject to the people and he's not in office because God has called him. And that's very important because in a democracy, God does not elect leaders. The people do. In a democracy, God does not elect leaders. I hope you get this right because this is so important for us as Christians. Does it mean God recognizes the leader? Yes, but he doesn't elect the person. The people elect and God recognizes because God has instituted human authority. For example, God did not bring my wife to me. The only person that God directly brought his wife to him was Adam, and there was only one choice. <laughs> he really had no choice. There's only one woman. If you, if you, if you don't like it, go, go and find something else. So he said, well, I got to take it. But God did not tell me, Joy is your wife. No. I saw her. I liked her. I loved her. 
I moved with her. I proposed to her. She said yes. And I said, God, this is what I found. Now, when we bring that before God, he recognizes it. Are you following me? Although he didn't choose it, but he recognizes it. He may not even approve of it, but he will recognize it. So, the fact that God recognizes something does not mean he approves of it. Israel chose a king. And God says, I'll give it to you, but that's not what I want for you. But I, I recognize it, that this is your king. So, in an election, when we vote and somebody is elected, it is the people who have made a choice, not God. The people. But God says the leader of the people is recognized because God is a God of order. And so whatever the people elect, God will recognize. If they elect anything, God will recognize. It does not mean God chose him. It does not mean God has anointed him. It does not mean the person is approved. It simply means the people with intelligence and with their own sense of evaluation looked at the proposal and make a decision. Like what happened in the book of Acts. Many theologians believe that that vote was wrong. They believe that God had somebody in mind in the future, but the people voted and they voted for Matthias and nobody heard from him again. And yet Paul came. And if they had been a little patient, Paul would have come along to be the apostle that they were looking for. So all I'm saying is, in a democracy, God does not elect leaders. The people do. But when the people present what they have elected and that person takes the oath of office and becomes president of the people, God recognizes that office as the leader of the people. But it doesn't mean he's appointed a person. We do it. We use our votum to determine who will lead us. So, I'm going to touch on three important things concerning voting. The first one is the reason for voting. Why should we vote? Why, why, why should citizens in any country vote? Why should you vote? Why? Why should I vote on the 7th of December? Why did the Americans vote on the 6th of November? Why did the Chinese vote recently? <laughs> Although they didn't allow everybody to vote, they voted within an electoral college. That's also a kind of voting. Why did they vote for a new leader? Why do people vote? What's the reason? The reason why you and I must vote is because of a very, a, a very interesting word. And that word is sovereignty. Everybody say sovereignty. Sovereignty is a very important word. It is the authority of a state to govern. You hear people say, for example, that Ghana is a sovereign state. That means we are, we are who we are by ourselves. Sovereignty. This is why people vote. This word. And you say, well, 
Why, why is voting about sovereignty? Because sovereignty is where the power of the state rests. Sovereignty. In a theocracy, sovereignty belongs to God. In a theocracy, God is the sovereign. He's the, he's the sovereign one. He's the all-powerful one. All power is concentrated in him in a theocracy. In a monarchy, sovereignty belongs to the king or the queen or the emperor. So when you go to a monarchy like England, they will say the queen is the sovereign of England, although that power has been diffused over time. But uh, in a real uh, monarchy, the king has all the power. He, he says, you go and you go. Sit, you sit. Cut off his head. Your head will be cut off. Nobody debates with the king because the power is in him. He is the sovereign. In theocracy, God has the power. He says, thou shalt not. You shall not. If you do, head cut. In a monarchy, the king says, thou shalt not. If you do, head cut. Now, head cut is ex extreme. You know that. But what I'm saying is that the power in a theocracy is in God. The power in a monarchy is in the king. The power in a democracy, the sovereignty is in the people. All right. So, because the sovereignty is not in the president or any man, it's in all of us. I have a, the sovereignty, you have the sovereignty. Each one of us have got sovereignty. Each one, you have it. So when we say, for example, your vote is your power, we mean you have sovereignty. So in Ghana, to qualify to have sovereignty, you must be 18 years and of a sound mind. That's all. That's all we say. You may not, you may not be educated. You can be a drunkard. You can be uh, whatever you want to be. But if you are 18 of a sound mind, you have sovereignty. Are you following me? The sovereignty is in the people. It is dispersed. So in Ghana, if it's a population of uh, 18, 24 million, and let's say that probably about 14 million are uh, 18 and above of a sound mind, the sovereignty is distributed amongst 14 million people. Now, if somebody has to be president, each one of us must surrender our sovereignty. And give it to that person. And that is what the vote is about. When I vote, I am saying, I am taking the power that is mine and I'm putting it in your hands. It's a very serious action. It's a very, very serious action. So in a democracy, no citizen can govern a state unless the people surrender their sovereignty to him or her. That is why there must be a vote. Because the people have the sovereignty and they have to say, I want to give my sovereignty to support Mr. A or Miss B. Sovereignty. It's a sacred responsibility. Any citizen, therefore, who tries to govern the people without the people giving their sovereignty to him 
has committed treason. We call it in Ghana a coup d'etat. And that's why in all our constitutions, a coup d'etat is always illegal at every time, permanently illegal. Because when you do that, you have bypassed the people and you have taken power upon yourself that doesn't belong to you. Because sovereignty is not in your hands. Sovereignty is in the hands of the people. Until the people gave it to you, if you have it, it's illegal. So, on the 7th of December, all of us here are going to surrender our sovereignty. You will, I will. Just by your thumb on a face. That's it. You may say, well, it doesn't matter, you know, I, I just go to vote. But you surrendered sovereignty. You are now telling somebody, this is my votum. I give it to you in expectation that you do this for me. I have given my will, my power, my authority, my sovereignty to you. So the question you ask yourself is, does this person deserve my sovereignty? It's something everybody should prayerfully consider. So the reason we vote is because sovereignty must be surrendered. And in Ghana, we do it every four years. The unfortunate thing is that because we think a president is like a chief, a chief is a monarch, a chief is not a president, a chief is not elected, a chief is there because of his bloodline. So we think that a president has the power. And actually when we, when we vote, most of us even think the vote belongs to the person we are voting for. It belongs to you. You have the sovereignty. You determine who must have it. The second point I want to talk about is the responsibility of voting. We've talked about the reason, and I said the reason is sovereignty. Responsibility. Voting is very, very responsible. If you follow all that I've taught so far, you know that this thing is not a joke. Supporting a political party is not like supporting a football team. Supporting a political party is not like supporting a football team. When you support a football team, you allow yourself to compete through your team. So when they win, you feel good. When they lose, you feel bad. And you tease each other, oh, we won. And, you know, you make fun. But the, the outcome doesn't affect anything about your life. It doesn't affect me. Because I'm not giving my sovereignty to them. I'm just entertaining myself. I'm getting a source of entertainment from them. But my sovereignty is in me. I am a supporter of the great Accra House Folk. Until the bones are rotting. Now you ask me, how did I become a supporter of Accra House Folk? Because my father was a supporter of Accra House Folk. 
So I didn't make a choice because it is entertainment. It's not my destiny. It's not my life. When a crowd of folk loses as they've been doing of late, you feel like slapping the players. But, you know, what do you do? You just... How can you put us where you've put us? But, you know, that's it. I'll still eat my food. My money will still be the same. Uh, I don't want to use that example. <laughs> but I, I, my, my life doesn't change because their fortune doesn't affect the quality of my life. However, when it comes to politics, it's not entertainment. Because it is my votum to somebody and that person can mess up my life. It's possible to vote for somebody who will destroy your, your life. So when we're going to vote, it's not about entertainment. It's not about teasing people. Oh, you won. I didn't win. Hey, we've won. Oh, yeah, we've won. No, no, no. It's votum. It's sacred. It's not a joke. It's not making fun. It's not winning a game and, and just saying phobia, phobia, phobia. No. It's not about wearing jerseys. It's not about symbols. So, how do we exercise this responsibility? Number one, you have to fully consider all the proposals on offer. Go beyond party names. Go beyond party adverts. Go beyond party slogans. Consider what each party has proposed. What have they put on the table? Fully consider it. Go beyond slogans. And how do you know what a person has proposed? In Ghana, they have a manifesto, although I don't, I don't really believe in the party manifestos because you know, they write things, you know, get a committee to write it. The way to find what the proposal is, is what the candidates speak about constantly. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when a person constantly says something, that is the proposal he has put on the table. Now, you have to fully consider that. Because you are about to exchange your votum, your sacred right. And it's not entertainment, it's not fun. It's not you winning against you, it's not betting. It's not supporting a racehorse and seeing which racehorse won. This is more serious. Take personal charge of your vote. That's the second thing. Your vote does not belong to a party. It does not belong to a candidate. It belongs to you. It's your votum. It's your sacred oath. You own it. It is your portion of the sovereignty of the state. Don't exchange it for temporary benefits. You cannot exchange your, your vote for t-shirts and, and, and little monies here and there and, 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 a, and a piece of cloth and, 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 and a goat and, and a chicken. Your sovereignty is far more expensive than chicken. Do you know why people will pay chicken for your vote? Because they know you don't value it and they want to buy it cheap from you. It's your votum. It's your sacred responsibility. 
and go beyond party colors. I can say without any shadow of doubt, from 1992 since we started up to now, democratic experiment, I've voted for different parties and different candidates. It is an insult to your intelligence to put your vote on autopilot. It is an insult to your intelligence to say, as for me, I will always vote this. What is the proposal on the table? That's what you consider because it is your sacred trust. I have voted for different candidates and parties because I, I value my vote. My wife will tell you many times when we're going to vote, he says, so whom, do I, whom are we voting for? I say, I don't know. You make your decision. I make my decision. It's my right. You vote yours. I vote mine. I don't know whether we vote the same. Because it's her sovereignty, it's my sovereignty, it's your sovereignty, and I have to own it. Are you following what I'm saying? You have to own it. You have to take charge of it. And you use your vote to express your will. When you vote, you are making a declaration. You are saying to God and to your state, this is what I want in my life. This is what I want. It's not what my father wants. It's not what my tribe wants. It's, it's what I want. And it's not even about winning and losing. It's about what you believe in. Because you don't vote for a winning party you vote for your, your beliefs. Well, I've, I've jumped ahead of myself. Let, let me go slowly. So now we've talked about the responsibility. Let's talk about the last R, the result of voting. What is the result? What comes out when we vote? The first thing you have to understand is that the proposal you support may win or lose. If your idea wins, you don't go and sit down. You demand that the people who put that idea on the table fulfill the promise. You must demand for it. And if they don't fulfill it, punish them. Don't let anybody think they can take your vote for granted. So yes, you may win or you may lose, but it's not about winning and losing. It's not Accra, Hassel Folk in Accra, and Asante Kotoko, our Accra rivals, and, 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 you know, Olympics couldn't make it, you know. That did boo that did boo but they went down. They went down. They went down. They went down. But I know people who are still diehard Olympic supporters. They are in whatever division they are, they say, because they believe it. It won't put food on your table, but you support them. But a vote will determine what food is on your table. The second thing is that the winning proposal will shape the destiny of state. You get what you vote for. Your quality of life is determined by the result of your vote. Your quality of life is determined by the result of the vote. 
So you can actually vote for a party which can punish you. Yes. And, 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 and they can punish you and create hardship for you, but because you see it like supporting Olympics or Accra House of Food, you still support, although the policies are not favoring you. It's not about party colors. A nation becomes what its citizens vote for. Sometimes we pray, we say, let's pray for the nation, that God will bless the nation. No, we have to pray that the citizens will make intelligent choices. Because if the citizens don't make intelligent choices, God is not going to come and rule Ghana for us. When you vote, you have surrendered your sovereignty. For somebody by power of attorney to act on your behalf. So, let me conclude. My time is going. Now I'm going to tell you the big one. What to vote for. <laughs> and whom to vote for. In 2012. <laughs> what should you vote for? And whom should you vote for? Number one, vote for your dreams and aspirations. Look at your future projections, where you are going, and see the proposal that best suits where you are going in life. What kind of future do you want? What kind of vision do you have for your life? Think about your life. Consider the proposals and ask yourself, which of these ones will help me become the person I want to be? Or my children or my grandchildren become what I want them to be. Which idea best fits my dreams and aspiration? Not which color I support or which slogan sounds nice. Or which idea best helps me become whom I want to be. So vote for your dreams and aspirations. And never allow any politician to take you for granted. Don't let anybody abuse your intelligence and think that they can sing you into a vote or dance you into a vote or t-shirt you into a vote. It's your dream. It's your aspiration. Secondly, vote for your beliefs and your values. What do you value? What is important to you? What do you believe? What are things that you wouldn't compromise in life? Look at all of that. Do you value honesty? Do you value truth? Do you value integrity? Do you think purity is important? Who and what ideas represent your values? And number three, vote for the best interest of your nation. Remember, your vote doesn't just affect you, but it will shape the destiny 
of your nation. Look at your nation, where it is and where it wants to be. Which of the proposals will help us get to a better place? Which of them? Think of other citizens of Ghana. Do you think their life will be, life will be good for them if this particular idea succeeds? Will it help the generality of the people? Will it serve everybody's self best interest? Or you are voting because you think when your party wins, you would get something. Because somebody has promised you something. That is selfishness. And that is an insult to yourself, to your sacred votum. But look at the nation. Where are we? Where do we want to go? And make a wise choice. The advice I want to give you is prayerfully consider this, not only at one time, but every election time. Your vote should not be fixed. Your vote is always in expression of a proposal that is in agreement with you. So you may support a party one year and not support them another year. You may support a candidate one year and not support him or her another year. Because the proposal they put on the table this time is not in your best interest. If every Ghanaian thinks like that, our politicians will stop distributing t-shirts and making songs and giving money and, and, and playing games with our minds. They would know they have a people who respect their vote. That is a sacred responsibility. And anytime they go to that ballot box, they are there to think of their hopes and aspirations and the aspirations of the nation. And they want a better life for themselves. I pray God helps you, God guides you, and God leads you in this process. So my friends, you know, I've shared it with you. You and I are major stakeholders in the destiny and the future of our country. As responsible citizens, we have to exercise our vote the sovereignty we have as a people with great care and circumspection. And I trust that God will guide you and guide all of us as we make this important choice for our future as a nation. Thank you for listening to me. I am Pastor Mesa Otabil. Shalom, peace, and life to you. Thank you for making time to watch Living Word.